and welcome to episode 118 of Tea or Books. My name is Rachel. I'm Simon. And today we are going to be starting off with a topic suggested to us by Eileen, um, who asked, when a writer writes books for children and adults, which do we prefer reading, the books for children or the books for adults? Interesting topic, one we've never had before. Mm. And in the second part, we are going to be talking about two books, um, very short, two novellas by female writers, um, Julie Otsuka's The Buddha in the Attic and Jamaica Kincaid's Lucy. So first of all, Simon, how are you? What are you reading? Thanks. I am um, hot and hay fevery is how I am at the moment. Uh, but otherwise, you know, not too bad. Um, and I'm in the middle of quite a lot of books, actually. Uh, I seem to have just um, been in a phase where I, I'm very excited about starting books and then sort of, the, um, whilst I'm enjoying them, I don't manage to actually keep going with them because I just want to start something else. But um, mm-hmm. let's see, one of them, uh, which I'm enjoying, is called Picnic in the Shade by Rosemary Eddisford, which I believe is her only book. It was posted on Instagram by um, Virginia, whose Instagram account is called Old Book Dreamer. And she always has the most wonderful, often quite obscure uh, books. And she always has beautiful copies of them, often with very lovely dust jackets as well. Uh, And she didn't say very much about it. She just said it was about a grandmother and granddaughter um, and their sort of various adventures. Uh, And that's essentially what it is. It's... um, it's quite a formidable grandmother who's not very, she's not unaffectionate, I guess, but she's not very sort of, uh, she's certainly not at all sentimental and dragging this, um, I guess, I think it's about 16 year old as, when it starts, uh, granddaughter around various different houses. People seem to constantly leave her houses in their wills or, or, bestow, or invite her to stay for months on end or something. Um, so yeah, and it's it's quite episodic, and it's the strange things that happen to them, the the curious people they meet, the misadventures they find themselves in, um, and yeah, it's it's got a lovely tone to it. Uh, it's not um, a sort of cozy sweet book in, in as much as people often are uh, unhappy or or grumpy or yeah, but it's also yeah, it's just a quite eccentric, enjoyable romp. Oh. How about you? Um, well, I mean, I'm actually a bit of the same. I'm sort of in between a couple of things, but I've been I've been trying to to read some nonfiction. But you know, I feel like I can't just sit and and read a nonfiction book all the way through. So, um, I'm currently reading um, I've a book that I, the name of which has has completely left my head um, <laughs> that my brother got me for my birthday, which is about country houses between. Um, between the, the after world war ii and like what happened to them um and i will uh, i can't I, I can't remember what it's called but we can look it up afterwards <laughs> and put it in the in the thing which It'll is really interesting notes, yeah. yeah he wrote another book called the long weekend which which was about um between the wars country houses between the wars which i found really interesting so this is sort of a sequel um you'd like it because there's lots about um deborah mitford in it oh, and, yeah yeah what she did at chatsworth and I've also just finished one of my Helen Ashton books. You know, I've been talking the last couple of Oh, another, love, excellent, yeah. Just can't get enough, cannot get enough. So um, I've just finished reading Letty Landon, which is a, a book about Letitia Landon, who was a, a poet in the early 19th century and um, had rather a tragic and short-lived life. But um, she 
Helen Ashton went through a phase of, of writing several fictionalised biographies of, um, of famous literary figures. So she mm. also wrote one about Jane Austen and one about William and Dorothy Wordsworth. Um, and this one, I'd never heard of, of really of Letitia Landon before, but I just found it absolutely compulsive reading. I don't know what it is about Helen Ashton, but she is just my new favourite writer. Yeah, I love that for you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's great when you uh, discover a new author and they've written a lot. It's and it's uh, yes, yeah, yeah. It's just a shame that she's almost entirely out of print, apart from the one uh, Persephone book and the other books are incredibly expensive so if anyone happens to have a cache of Helen Ashton books sitting around (laughs) do you have many left to read oh gosh yes loads and actually I can't even find a definitive list so I feel like this is my new my new life obsession love that well yeah yeah. if you find if you find the one you think is the best of all then I will uh, try and persuade the British Library maybe oh yes no definitely brilliant i'll let you know thanks um okay great so thank you aileen for suggesting this uh title because a while ago we did parents and children authors but that wasn't about children's books and we did about reading children's books as an adult versus reading them as a child but this is a excellent yeah. new uh new so many twists on, on the world. same topic you know, i know it's times when you get to 100, episode 118 isn't it <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah, well, what, what came to your mind first? Um, well, actually, I the first person I thought of was someone who I knew was a favourite of yours when you first started mm. blogging. But but I think perhaps you've perhaps um, revisited her novels recently and not found them as compelling as before. But you used to love Richmond Crompton, um, who certainly for British people is very famous for her Just William novels for children, but also wrote quite a lot of um I don't know would we call them middle brow I think yeah middle brow um novels mainly centered around family um Persephone books have republished one called Family Roundabout um I also thought similarly Noel Stretfield he was writing at the same time he was really famous for um her ballet shoes series of books for children but also wrote a fair few similar-ish books to um Richmond Crompton and is also a Persephone author with saplings um it's almost like I've prepared this I don't know it's like literally just coming <laughs> to me it's great um, well I, can I jump yeah. in on those before we move on yeah um because yeah, yeah as you, you're right with you well yeah Richmond Crompton I've had an interesting sort of journey with I guess and I was absolutely obsessed with her when I was first discovering adult novels I guess so I was about 16 17 when I first started um reading her just I picked one up in a second-hand bookshop because I love the Joss William books. And I saw, I think it was Frost at Morning was my first one. Mm. Um, and I haven't reread much of her, but I think maybe the issue is that I've read, I read all of the really good ones then. Um, and she does sort of teeter on that line in where when she's not at her best, they're a bit formulaic. They're a little bit, um, the characters don't have that much depth. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of ellipses of people like you know, which, which, you know, it's fine now and then, but if every paragraph is ending with an ellipsis, it'd be like suspense. Um, <laughs> it does get a bit, <laughs> a bit tiring. Um, and I think I still would like a, I still like her. I think maybe it's going back to the episode we had a little while ago about bite versus no bite. I think sometimes she doesn't have enough bite for me now, and um, it makes me feel a bit sad that I sort of feel like I've grown out of her slightly and then 
I think I, she's still an author I really like, but I wouldn't probably describe her as one of my favourite authors anymore, which I would have done at one point. That's a shame, isn't it? Yeah, but there we are. But, you know, growth, yeah. growth. Yeah. And some, I still think they're like, yeah, Family Roundabout, Frosted Morning, Matty and the Deering Roids. Uh, there's still some, I think, absolute peak ones. And uh, and I would probably try and get one of them in the British Library series, but um, uh, is, oh, I can't remember who it is. Bello maybe have reprinted many of them as print on demand already. So um, they are, a lot right. of them are available that weren't before. Mm. Yeah. And then also, I felt an interesting fact about her, uh, which you may have come across. I think I read it in a Persephone newsletter once. Um, that a factory that had lots of copies of her adult novels was bombed during the war, and that's why they're really scarce. Oh, there well, there we are. I've only read a couple. Sure. I read Saplings that I didn't very much like, and then I did a much. I really liked. Um, I ordered a table for six, which I read a couple years ago. It's really good. Oh. Quite sad. Yes. Um, it's interesting, actually, because a lot of those, uh, both Richmond Crompton and Nell Stretfield, I never actually read their books, uh, their children's books as a child. Mm. But I've I've read their children's books as an adult just to see what they were like. Um, I enjoyed them, but it's I don't know how I would have felt about them when I was a child. I think perhaps I probably would have found them a little bit old fashioned. And, um, you know, that's a bit rich coming from me, seeing as I spent my time <laughs> reading, reading 19th century novels. But um, and, and speaking of, of 19th century authors, I think there are a lot of, of 19th century, particularly female authors who wrote for both children and adults. And probably the most famous examples are Louisa May Alcott and um, Frances Hodgson Burnett, both mm. of whom were m- more so, I think, Louise May Alcott um, frustrated that their children's books became what they were known by when they saw themselves very much as being serious writers. Um, Louisa May Alcott hated the fact that Little Women was so popular and, and she set great store by the work she wrote for, for adults, which has become you know completely out of print and I can't say I've ever actually read any of them. Um, no. And um, Frances Hodgson Burnett, I think, is an interesting one because, you know, I grew up on a diet of Secret Garden and Little Princess, absolutely loved those books um, and didn't really know at all that she'd written books for adults um, until I think Persephone republished The Shuttle. No, Persephone, yeah, yeah. Mm. And I read that and thought, gosh, this is good. And then um, Making of the Marchioness, they also republished and I really enjoyed that as well. And, you know, these are really interesting social novels looking at um, the the movement of, of upper class American women and marrying into aristocratic families and uh, British families in the 19th century and bringing it across their um, their American money um, and rescuing these estates. But what did that really mean? So the really interesting sort of social um mm interest to those novels and not dissimilar to the kind of stuff that Edith Wharton was writing but perhaps not taken as seriously because she was seen as as a little bit more lowbrow because of her children's fiction I don't know. It's interesting you said yeah they're about um, several authors felt sad that their children's books were more popular than their adult books because you don't I don't think you tend to get that other way around where people who write mm. adult novels are sad that people aren't focusing on their children's books and children's books are often the ones that people love most and hold with them throughout their lives aren't they so they yeah great chance of impact obviously the one who comes to mind for me first a milne uh author i yes, really love of course. um yes and he did have i think uh, an uneasy relationship with the winnie the pooh books um which and the and the poetry which were you know short and covered 
I think six, yeah, six years of his life of writing, and he wrote long and many other things. Um, and I, yeah, we don't have time for me to go into all the things I love about AML, but he's he was my sort of first uh, author I completely fell in love with as an adult and read everything. And there's dozens and dozens of books and plays and poetry and essays and all sorts. Um, but yeah, I also. Yeah, but the, of the ones we've mentioned so far, I loved Just William and I loved the Winnie the Pooh books growing up. I didn't read um, uh, the, well, I still haven't read any Niles Reference children's books, actually. So I'm still, still a newbie to those. But um, I think there are various authors who, yeah, Eamon and Richard Contran, I was certainly drawn to them because they I'd read their, their children's books. And similarly, Inesbet, uh really love her. Oh yes, well, yeah, particularly the Lark, abs- one of my absolutely favourite books I've read recent in the last few years. Just so fun about this um, couple of girls who've just left school who start running a flower shop out of a house and all that yeah. escapades. I've read a few others of hers which are sort of light, lighter and not as successful, I think. But uh, but yeah, that's because I love the Railway Children and Five Children in It and mm-hmm. uh, all these other wonderful classics that she wrote. So I think there is something about becoming an adult reader but finding that continuity with your childhood reading, which is like, oh, what? it's really nice having that sort of baton passed if I loved these books as a child and now I can find out what that author wrote for me at this age, which is rather lovely. Yeah, I think that's a lovely way of looking at it, sort of graduating with this this person, growing up with them and then moving into hmm. becoming an adult with that same voice that feels safe and comforting, but is adjusting and adapting to the, the person you're becoming. Um, yeah. And I can't think of, of any... Um, I suppose Ruma Godden is is a really interesting writer because she wrote lots of books for children, but then lots of books that I think nowadays we probably would would classify as young adult fiction, but I don't think would have been classified as young yeah. adult fiction at the time. Um, books such as The Green Gauge Summer, for example, that are about a coming of age story, but um, you know, quite sexually explicit actually, and um, she straddles that sort of. She does books for small children, books for um teenagers and then really lovely books for adults and what I love about her writing is that it does sort of subtly change but ultimately her vocabulary is the same her ability to build a rich world is the same and um her voice is very much the same she doesn't patronize and I do think that some some writers today who who try and straddle that so you've got people like John Boyne for example um, Sarah Crossan, who's a very popular writer for, for children who recently published her first adult novel. Um, I think that their writing for for children and young adults is uh, formulaic in a way that okay. I don't think people of uh, in sort of early 20th century, 19th century writers um, wasn't so much. I think they they seem to sort of have an eye for what's going to sell in a way that... Right. Um, I don't think was a preoccupation in the past, and I mean, as someone I've I've never read um, Marjorie Sharp's children's novels, but she obviously yeah, she was someone I was going to mention, The Rescuers, yeah, yeah, which I've never read. Obviously, I saw the Disney films growing up. Are they Disney films? They are Disney films, aren't they? Were they Fox ones? Yeah, I've not even seen those. But oh yeah, I mean, I used to love those, but I've never read them. But I think she's got such a playful spirit in her adult books. I can mm. imagine that that's suffused in her in her books for children. Yeah, she was one of the names I wrote down. And the other two were Barbara Youth and Todd and Dorothy Canfield oh, yes. Fisher, um, where I've read their adult novels and loved them and haven't 
even thought about reading their children's books really so it doesn't really seem to work the other way for me if i encounter them first as an adult look i'm a terribly lively wrote children's book I mean, there's lots of people who oh. yeah i mean all these people are, i don't know if you've read any of the, the children's books by any of those authors but um, no i haven't no so no. yeah i mean i guess it, it might make me want to you know buy those children's books for a friend's child or something but um I don't know, I don't often read children's books if I don't have the nostalgia of having grown up with them anyway. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I, I only read them for, um, sorry, it's getting tissue for my hay, for my hay fever. Oh, uh, also joining joining the hay fever club. Um, I I only read children's books now if I if I have to for teaching purposes. Um, otherwise, yeah, I wouldn't pick one up out of choice. Mm. It's interesting that most of the names we've mentioned, the only exceptions I can think of being yeah, John Boyne, A. Milne, and we haven't mentioned C.S. Lewis, but he's another, um, is that of uh, these authors who write for both adults and children tend to be women. Uh, is it mm. just because in the past people thought, oh, it's a woman author, they should write for the kiddies? I don't know. <laughs> I think um, I think that's probably a huge element of it and it's it's interesting actually that when you look at who's writing for children now you do have actually a lot more male voices um mm. which i mean i i guess in the past actually though if i think about my um my kind of scant knowledge really of 19th century boys fiction um it, it was a huge um it was it was a huge market sort of adventure books for boys written by men in the 19th century yeah. so i think perhaps there's it's a, i think the content of what's written for children um it very much differs on a on a gender basis i think we've talked about that before and it, it's just interesting yeah. to think about what what would a male what does a male writer for children then write about for adults and what does a female writer yeah. for children write for children and then write for adults because aa milne's books for example i mean i've only read a couple of them but you know they do have that middle brow feel but they're very they're more focused on a male perspective of the world if i remember rightly you're the expert on that well, I think there's definitely a straight line in terms of the humour that he uses in the children's books and in the adult books. Um, I think the, there's maybe more similarity in between those. And it, maybe it is a male perspective, although, I mean, things like his novel Chloe Marr is very much a, a woman's outlook. Um, yeah, I I would think there is some similarity. And I guess there is also... Maybe the, the main difference I'm thinking about is the expectation of, you know, if if some if a man is successful as a novelist for adults, is there any expectation that he will then write for children in particularly in mm. the mid 20th century? Probably not. If a woman yeah. is successful, I mean, having said that, there were any number of female novelists who didn't write for children, I guess. But um, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's a complex complex thing, and I don't know how many of these were the publishers saying, "Could you do this?" Or uh, people like Inesbet. Um, or yeah, I can't, it was only successful for children long before she started writing novels for adults. But uh, yeah, I guess maybe yeah, it's, it's interesting different, different to authors. think. Yeah, and interesting to think which way round people did it. You know, did they start mm, with children mm. and then move to adults? Did they do adults first and then go to children? You know, was it their choice? Maybe it's after they had children themselves. I mean, that's where a lot of mm, authors have been mm. like, oh, after I had my own children, I wanted to write a book that they would enjoy and things like that. So you see people experimenting with. Um, doing something for, for younger people because of their own experience or when they're slightly older. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one, really. Um, I think it's probably, it's quite difficult, I think, to, they're very different audiences. I think it's quite difficult to, I, I do have a lot of admiration for authors who mm, can write skill. for such different, yeah, really different skill. Yeah, well, let's 
let's make our decision then, I guess. Um, yeah. Unless you've got more things you want to say. No, I don't think so. Uh, well, I'm going to say, well, I think I'm going to lean on the adult side because whilst if I read a book by a child, as a child, I probably would want to find out what they've written for adults. It just doesn't really tend to cross my mind if I've discovered an adult author I like has written for children to read to read those books. So I'm going to say adult books. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I think I'll, I'd be in the same camp. So we're agreed on that one. We're agreed. Thank you, Aileen. Great topic. Mm, yeah. Because I feel like there's so much more we could say, but also we're just listing names really at this point. But it's it's a really yeah. interesting, yeah. Uh, really interesting one, but a lot of nuance on each individual. So interested to hear more people um, talk about it. And it is, yeah, it's nice when those adult novels by children's authors do come back, like you know, Ines Bitt and Rachel Compton, and they've they've they found they mm. sort of found a new audience in latter years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, two novels, or novellas really, about mm. the immigrant experience, I suppose, or at least an immigrant experience. Um, Julie Otsuka's The Buddha in the Attic and Jamaica Kincaid's Lucy. Um, are you right if I introduce The Buddha in the Attic? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Uh, so it's, ouch, just hit myself on the chair. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a novella from a professional podcaster would edit that out, but uh, it's, a, it's a novella from mm-hmm. about 10, 10, 15 years ago, um, set during the uh, the gap between the world wars leading towards World War Two, where a group of Japanese women were coming to America by boat. Um, they are mostly going there to be married to Japanese men who've already traveled over. Um, I think they're all Japanese men they're meeting. Um, certainly lot, certainly men that they mostly don't know, but they've exchanged letters. They've done this sort of a sort of dating agency thing by correspondence, um, often discovering that the men they thought they were meeting and the lives they thought they'd lead were not at all as uh, advertised. And yeah, uh, the th- really distinctive thing about this that Otsuka does is that it's not really a novel about named characters, linking back to our chat last last time, really, but instead she'll do paragraphs of lots of different people's experiences in a long list, all, all headed up with we, it's all in the first person plural. Um, and it really gives you that wide scope of a generation of women's experiences. I'll read, I won't do it now, but in, 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 a while, in a short while, I'll read a little paragraph from it to give you a sense of what that, what that sounds like. Um, as the novel progresses and as we get closer to World War II, um, we learn more about the way in which Japanese people were treated in America um, when Japan were considered the enemy. Um, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's uh, The Buddha in the Attic. Very comprehensive. Um, so Lucy by Jamaica Kincaid is is the exact opposite, actually, in, in having a named main character. She's eponymous, so Lucy. And it's told in the first person. Lucy comes from um, Antigua, I think. Did I make that up? West and Indies, certainly, but I'm not sure. West yeah. Indies, yeah. I'm not sure if it's named. Um, Jamaica Kincaid did, so I'm, I'm guessing it's the same, but I don't know, I'm making it up. Um, Lucy comes from, is, is young, she's a teenager at the beginning of the of the novella, and she um, we come into her story as she arrives in America to be a nanny for a, a rich white family. And the story progresses over the, the year or so that she's, she's with this family who live in New York, and they also have a um, summer house on the lake up near Chicago, and watching this family and how they live and how their life unravels over time, but also exploring how it feels to be 
an immigrant in a new country, how she finds her place, how she makes friends, how she learns to adapt to life in a in a very different place. And while she's also growing into a woman and learning to grapple with what that means um, and what her future will look like. So, yeah. Lovely. Thank you. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I will just, if, if I may, read a section of... Um, the Buddha in the Attic, which is actually not one of the we lists, but it's about uh, where they land and where they were living. So um, here we go. Home was a cot in one of their bunkhouses at a fair ranch in Yolo. Home was a long tent beneath a leafy plum tree at Kettleman's. Home was a wooden shanty in Camp Number 7 on the Barhart Tract out in Lodi. Nothing but rows of onions as far as the eyes can see. Home was a bed of straw in John Lyman's barn alongside his prize horses and cows. Home was a corner of the wash house at Stockton's Cannery Ranch. Home was a bunk in a rusty boxcar in Lompoc. Home was an old chicken coop in Willows that the Chinese had lived in before us, etc, etc. So yeah, we get all the time these these long lists so you're never settling on one person's experience it really is about the group which is partly i guess linking to the uh collectivist way of looking at life that is common to many asian countries um uh, not to draw too broad a stereotype but that is yeah i think we're much more individualistic in the west in general um and it's i found it really powerful i had no idea this is what was going to it was going to be like going in but i thought it worked brilliantly well and really um it seems weird to have a novel where you don't have a heroine or a hero or a group of people that you're attached to and yet i felt really emotionally invested in it how did you find that really unusual um approach to writing yeah i mean i didn't know where i was really with it at the beginning um but i just found it incredibly poetic and very absorbing and it didn't matter to me that i i didn't have a character to follow because I felt like I had a voice to follow. Um, there was still very much a centre for me. I was I was getting some. There there is somebody's perspective because there is somebody telling us this story. We don't know who it is, but but there is very much a viewpoint, and we're seeing the community from that viewpoint. And what I thought was really interesting is that at the, we start with a we, and there's a we the whole way through. But then that we changes because at the beginning we're we are one of the Japanese women on the boat we are one of the women living in America we are one of the women having children we are one of the women being wives etc and then towards the end when we we move into World War II and we get into I mean I'm not it's not a spoiler because it's just fact um with the internment camps and you have that final section Mm. of the novella where the we is suddenly the community of, of of white Americans and it's interesting yeah. to think about how and why that shift happens and where that leaves us as, as the reader, because it's really unsettling to finish. And I, I thought, gosh, there's a lot. I mean, I've, I've literally just finished reading it this afternoon, so I haven't really had time to, to reflect on it properly and think about what, what, how would I interpret that and how does it make me feel? But I, I think it's interesting that she's she kind of puts us at the center of of us the reader at the center of this narrative and and moves us through it to make us i'm i mean my reading of it is that we are she wants to create this sense that we are all one and that there is no real difference between communities and um but at the same time there is a difference because it's a very different culture etc so i mean i'm just rambling now but i just thought that's really (laughs) interesting and it was an interesting choice and one that i would want to sit and think about for a bit longer and I think it's an interesting sort of counterpoint to what you often get about uh, people who've experienced something bad is you you get the sense that you're really having empathy for for one individual, 
like mm. you mentioned John Boyne, like the boy in the striped pajamas, it becomes all about the boy and his friend. And you once you're like, yes, I know that I know this is whole like millions of people in that case who suffered terribly. The people I'm really invested in are these named individuals. And what Juliet Sucre yeah. does is not not allow you to just care about one person and sort of forget about the rest because you have to care about everyone. Uh, and yeah. you have to be invested in the lives of everyone. And I think that is really powerful. It sort of gets rid of that exceptionalism of his, the, you know, the one one person that we are connected to. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really brave decision as a writer, because mm. for a lot of mm. people, that's a huge turn off. Um, yeah. But the thing is, what's what's interesting is that, and again, you could say, well, there's no plot. But actually, there is. There is a plot, because we're watching uh, time pass, and we're seeing this general movement of people from one phase of life to another we're seeing the passing of time we're seeing how a community goes from being a new arrival to being embedded somewhere and as time goes on and watching the generations and looking at well what happens when you have children and they're growing up in a country that's not your country and um you know there's all of that going on so i mean i just found it fast i don't think i've read a novel like it actually no i've never read nothing like it and i think it might might not have worked if it was if it was a long book, but because it is, let's have a look. It's hundred and hundred and twenty nine pages. Uh, you never feel like it's outstaying its welcome, or if it's you know, if it was a four hundred yeah. page book, I think it may not have sustained interest. But as it was, it did keep. It didn't matter that we didn't have a linear plot as such, or a single yeah. plot. Yeah. Um, and you were the one who uh, were already planning to read Lucy. What? What? Um, how did this cross your radar? Um, well, I mean, I'm a big fan of Jamaica Kincaid. Anyway, it's just and it was just one oh. I hadn't read. Um, and I've I've taught a couple of her her books to classes in the past, and we've always enjoyed um, her voice and her perspective. And I think it's a really interesting one because I mean, I don't tend to when I read about immigrant experiences, I, I tend to read about people coming to Britain. So I, I hadn't really. Uh, read any, um, something about somebody coming to go to America and, and what it's like to go from the West Indies to America. So I was intrigued to read about that. Um, and Jamaica Kincaid also writes a lot of really interesting stuff about growing up in the West Indies and, and what it's like to live somewhere where um, other countries, particularly America, uh, come and use and abuse you as a tourist destination, but don't invest any money in you. And um, the, the complete contrast between tourist resorts and how ordinary people mm. live. So it's actually really interesting to have that kind of flipped on its head in, in Lucy, where we where we see somebody coming from the West Indies to America and seeing that real contrast in life and and Lucy's kind of total shock at the the luxury of the the world that she's coming to, but also um the the just she so little that she knew or understood about a world outside of her own. Like she'd never seen white people before. She'd never she I love the opening where she says um, she got up and the sun was shining and so she put on her a light dress and she didn't realise that because it was January, even though the sun was shining, it didn't mean it was warm. She had no concept that the sun could shine and it'd be cold. And that kind of um, complete sort of, I don't know, just a complete discombobulation of somebody coming to a a climate, a culture, a a country that they know nothing about and being forced to just, just get on with it and you see her grow I think what's so interesting is she begins and she's so quiet and she's so um kind of shell-shocked really and doesn't really say very much and then you see her but she's also got this real 
strength of character and she knows who she is and she knows what she wants and what she doesn't want and her boldness is really quite powerful and her ability to judge people and to see people um I, th I thought was really interesting and how she completely sees through this family that she lives with I found really fascinating yeah I think the bits I found most interesting in it were when you learned about quite subtly the effects of colonialism on her upbringing particularly thinking mm. around um being forced to learn daffodils when you know she'd never seen a daffodil yes. and recognize one when she did see it uh, and how yeah how she was sort of expected to be steeped in western culture as the inverted commas best culture um rather mm. than her yeah the literature of her own yeah island or, or country um and there were some really pithy observations. One I wrote down was, um, which really rang true, I think, for today, is how do you get to be the sort of victor who can also claim to be the vanquished also? And we see so much now, I think, in this country, in America, of, or in the past few years, we've seen people in power who also want to act like they're the silenced ones or the victims or you know, have this sort of rhetoric of being not being allowed to say what they think or you know, even when they are in control. Um mm. Yeah, which I, I thought things like that. And there was a lot of um, things where she would be talking about the world around her and there were subtle things that were pointing out the distinction between her role and Martha's or, um, yeah, something some, about the power and balance there. I will say the version that I read, which I borrowed from the library, someone had quite irritatingly underlined or put notes next to most of those moments. And I don't know if you've ever yeah. read a book that someone else has made notes and I always find it frustrating to be like, oh, they, they really want me to emphasise this this paragraph and that make a note distorts the reading um yes it does rather. yeah because i will say yeah, uh sorry keep going no go ahead well i didn't say i will say overall that i was a little i don't know i just felt a bit underwhelmed by the novel as a whole um oh. yeah i just I, I just didn't find it very special or interesting I, as, as a whole i didn't find i just didn't really feel that drawn to the characters and it just yeah I didn't think the writing was particularly unusually good or I didn't think it was bad I don't know I just felt like it was it was sort of nothing <laughs> that's I don't that sounds terrible but I, I I probably wouldn't have finished reading it if it weren't for podcasts and it's not that long um what is it that makes her oh, wow. writing sort of yeah feel special to you um well I mean for me this book what I found so compelling about it is the anger that just seethes underneath. She's so Lucy, so angry at Mariah. Like for again, mm. that thing with the daffodils. Like how, you know, that assumption that I will find them beautiful because you find them beautiful. Like your assumption that everything that is wonderful to you is necessarily wonderful to me. And if I don't appreciate it, then there's something wrong with me. Um, and that anger she feels like saying to her, you know, I was made to learn this poem mm -hmm. um, about flowers and a landscape that meant nothing to me and I've had this drummed into me and now you bring me here to these daffodils and you want me to appreciate them it's like why mm -hmm. why has no one ever given me the chance to appreciate something that means something to me why would this mean something to me and I think that uh, and her kind of she has she says a lot to Mariah you know how do you come to be a person who takes everything so simply who believes everything to be good because Lucy doesn't have that privilege to, to see the world in that way because the world hasn't been good to her. Um, and so I, I think for me, what I found really powerful about it is that the brutality and the honesty 
of Lucy of, uh, and the unashamedness of which she expresses that anger she feels at being a, a, for someone from a colonised nation who has doesn't have opportunities and who has to come and work for somebody who's a lovely person but who has absolutely no concept of the violence that is done to other people. And yet she does come to love her, doesn't she? She does. And I think that's also really interesting because there's so much contradiction within Lucy's character mm. as well. She hates, but she also loves. She's angry, but she also, you know, has great capacity for joy and appreciation. And, and she loves the children that she's looking after. And she loves going to the lake. And, you know, there's there's so much that she loves. But I, it's just so interesting that she, to me that knot of anger. And, and I just think Jamaica Kincaid's prose is really simple, but so effective. I just find it really compelling. Um, and I think her ability to express what normally feels inexpressible is is really amazing so yeah I'm sorry that you felt that way I think there is some I I think this novel in particular Lucy's anger makes her somebody that she uh, she pushes people away from her and I think Kincaid creates that distance in the prose on purpose yeah and I I want to say I accidentally called Mariah Martha earlier. Sorry, sorry to her. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it wasn't that I particularly liked or disliked Lucy or felt pushed away from her as a character. I think it was more, maybe it was just uh, after that sort of richness and, and distinctiveness of The Buddha in the Attic, I, it just maybe felt too simple and too um sparse to me and I often really like sparse writing but I think the emotional complexity that was in the characters and in the situation I would have preferred to read maybe a slightly more um complex language about it and it there maybe there's a bit yeah a mismatch between the style and and what I was intent, intended to get from it mm. Okay. Hmm. I did find well, yeah. the thing I did find richest actually was her talking about her relationship with her mother towards the end. I thought that was really good. Um, mm. And I mean, it's there throughout, but I thought particularly towards the end when there's a bit of a crisis, they won't spoil. But uh, uh, and the expectations that other people have of that relationship versus what she actually has. Um, yeah. And yeah, so, yeah, there's definitely really like every female relationship in this novel, whether that's the employee employer or this woman is it polly that she uh that she sort of hates but also um, peggy 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 that's it um yeah they uh something they said i think there's quite a funny line about saying that they move in together when they um uh when they no longer like each other you know, it's a, it's in a way of sustaining the relationship um yeah i thought all those interesting uh but i don't know there's something in the way that kincaid writes that didn't quite connect with me i guess um and so sorry i was just going uh, on uh, that complexity of uh happiness and sadness in relationship i thought that was interesting in buddha in the attic and that most of the things that are detailed are negative but there was enough positive in there that that it felt like it's not saying everyone was miserable there was this thing so like some some of the husbands were kind and good some of them uh some of their jobs had elements of fulfillment to them some of them had children that they you know, well, many of them are children, but some of them got a lot of value from that. that those children, in fact, and just really loved being mothers, uh, alongside all of the the terrible things that happened. Um, mm. What did you think of that of that sort of balance of of dark and light? Yeah, I thought it was very successful, and I, I think there are so many. There's moments of beauty and joy, and of building a life, and of um, 
assimilating into a different world and finding pleasure in nature and the seasons and I think you know what I found really touching was as they're describing the moment as they're, they're packing up to to go to the internment camps and it's all of the things that they'll miss and all of the things that they won't get to do and um the the sort of the pride that they take in packing up their um produce and weeding their land and doing all of the things mm, like that there's mm. a um yeah i mean in and amongst the hard work and the mundanity of it there's a sense that they're building a life and it's a life that's still probably better than the one they would have had in japan so there's there's sadness and there's regret and there are you know the thing is when you've got you hear in a throwaway line that this person killed themselves or this person went mm. back or this person hated their husband but within that there's also people who have made a success of themselves and who have found joy and so because you've got that really broad brush stroke picture of a huge number of people for whom amongst them there is going to be a myriad of different experiences of what that what that life was like I think it's really it's possible to to feel joy amidst the sadness it's possible to see how some people would have you know had a wonderful opportunities and um the chance to live a lifestyle that they would never have had elsewhere whereas obviously other people wouldn't have done but that's life isn't it and that's i guess a difficult thing in the writing of lucy is trying to convey because in, in some sense it's because she's the only immigrant character that we see extensively in the novel she yeah. is representing all of all of the immigrant experience even though obviously no one person can do that but you yeah, there's a sense that you that she has to get the dark and light into one person's experience, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. Well, it's, I think it's 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 clear that I will be choosing uh, the Buddha in the attic, but I don't know which way you're going to fall. Yeah, I was going to say I think you've made your feelings quite clear. Um, <laughs> I do you know what I really enjoyed both of them. But I think for me, actually, I'm, I mean, I'm going to agree with you again and um, mm. say The Buddha in the Attic, just because it's a completely different style of book than anything I've read. It's about a culture and an experience I've never really read about before. Um, and I was just mesmerized by it. And I'm really actually keen to to read more of her work and to find out whether, you know, this is something that she does in all of her books or, you know, there's a different style um, elsewhere. But yeah, I mean, I, I just found it wonderful and so rich and evocative. Excellent. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, it was, it's been on my shelves for a very long time. So I was glad to finally read it. Um, but I didn't know anything else she's done. I'd be yeah, interested because, yeah, I'm sure she's not done this particular style again, but I'd be interested to see what she does with a different style. Yeah. Um, Great. In the next episode, we will be doing Drive Your Plough Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga Tokarczuk and Woman Talking by Miriam Taves, um, neither of which I think are going to be laugh out loud funny, but I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so buckle up for an intense next episode. Um, yeah. All the books and authors mentioned are stuckinabook.com and you can send in suggestions, questions, anything you like to teaorbooks at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.